welcome to the Human Flourishing Project. I'm your host, Alex Epstein. Last week, we talked about the subject of nutrition. And this is a subject that I raised in the first episode of this podcast. And that was, uh, I guess it came out on August 3rd. So it's been three months. And when I introduced it, the reason I introduced it was that this is maybe the example of the problem that this show exists to solve, which is that humans lack reliable access to the knowledge we need to flourish with crucial issues like nutrition, psychology, relationships, pretty much anything we really need to know about to flourish in life. We really have a lot of difficulty finding it. Now, my own experience is is trying to find real knowledge in industrial fields, specifically energy and then the environmental impacts of energy. And if you're interested in that, you can read my work or listen to my other podcast, Power Hour, which hasn't been updated in a while, but will hopefully uh, be updated soon. But I've been really interested in, okay, how can I take what I've learned about what I call knowledge acquisition systems, developing better sets of processes for finding the right knowledge, for separating real knowledge from non-knowledge, for integrating knowledge together. How can I take what I've learned about that and apply it to other fields with the hope that I and other people can get better knowledge by having better knowledge acquisition systems? One of the basic ideas of this show is that the key to better knowledge is not just exposing ourselves to new claims to knowledge, it's to develop better knowledge acquisition systems. And so I'm in week two of this very exciting and precarious foray into nutrition, which is something that I've looked at recreationally for a long time, but I've never made any kind of in-depth study of. But I think maybe the approach that I have to getting real knowledge can be useful here. So you're joining me on this journey. Thanks for for listening. And just to recap, last week I talked about some specific challenges that we face in learning about nutrition, which pertain to experts. And I talked about how it's very, very valuable to look for experts who do two things. One is that they express objectivity or honesty about their level of certainty about issues. So one good indication of an expert is if they indicate, oh, I know a lot about this and a little about this and this I'm completely unsure of and this is completely speculative. When they express these different degrees of confidence and uncertainty about things, we can be more confident that that they are actually looking at things in an objective way versus just having some perfect theory where they act like they're certain of everything, which in in this kind of realm where you're dealing with very complex systems, it's very unlikely that everyone is going to have everything figured out to every degree. Uh, And in fact, that's never really true because in any field, even when you have a lot of certainty or a lot of confidence, there are always new things that, that are at the periphery where you have different degrees of probability and uncertainty about. So that was one thing I was saying, looking for experts who express objectivity about their level of certainty. And then the other thing was experts who respectfully engage the best arguments of others. They they acknowledge and they engage the best arguments of others. And I asked listeners, particularly on the Facebook group, 
to suggest experts that they thought met these criteria. And I, I highly recommend looking at the discussion from last week, which interestingly is probably has more comments on it and more interaction on it, particularly if I include things that occurred on my personal Facebook that were spillover from it, probably has more than all the episodes combined. So this this topic definitely strikes a nerve. Um, but certain names came up from different schools of thought as, okay, this is a person that people regard as a seemingly responsible expert or at least a a responsible inquirer about these issues and certain names that came up from the, what we can call, what they often call themselves like a low carb, high fat school, which I I'll sometimes call carnivore for the specific, like the pure carnivores among them. But the, the, um, I don't know exactly what he calls himself, but science, science journalist, Gary Taubes. And then there's a doctor that's often connected to him named Peter Atia. People, had a lot of regard for them. And then in terms of people in a very different camp, in terms of critical of them, a guy named, I, I apologize, I don't know how to pronounce his name, and I, I apologize for not looking it up in advance, but Stefan, uh, I'm going to guess Guyanet, G-U-Y-E-N-E-T, and then Michael Greger, who's somebody I've read a little bit. And then there's a website called Science-Based Medicine, which is intriguing, and they had some interesting stuff about Tobbs. And so just, I started scanning these different things and, and and different people recommended and some of them struck me as more or less credible but i decided for for reasons that i think are reasonable but there's there's no this isn't the best way to do it but i decided you know what i want to i want to try first looking at the arguments of gary tobbs and then i want to but at the same time as looking at the arguments of people who are highly recommended who directly engage Tobbs. And reason for that is that when I when I was reading some chapters of Tobbs's book or at least scanning on them, scanning them, he he was very focused on the issue of method. So how it is that different scientists in this field are going about reaching conclusions and he was critical of people's method including saying that people were sloppy about different things. So for me, I thought, okay, this is a pretty good starting point because some of the points he made intrigued me, including as there's a huge controversy over what they call energy balance. And I don't want to get into that right now. I'll get into it in a later episode. But the point is he, he had a point about it. And he had a criticism of the way it's conventionally thought about that was plausible to me. And that that is a he's dealing with fundamental issues. So one thing I'm looking for when I'm just surveying a field or surveying a debate is I want people who are focused on issues of method, issues of clarity. That doesn't guarantee at all that they'll be right, but it's it's creating a context where then the discussions about them will end up being discussions about method and discussions about method you know another way of putting that is that's that means discussions about the knowledge acquisition systems that people are using so i decided okay i'm going to read tobs and then read in parallel some other people and the, the the person that's most that I, i'm most planning on reading right now is this guy 
Guiana, in part because my colleague Don Watkins, who knows a lot about this stuff, recommended him, and specifically because he has he has a lot of his own stuff, but he also has interaction with Tobbs, and then Tobbs has responses to him. And I feel like, okay, this is this is great because usually when I watch people interact, I can get a good sense of how their minds work by how they're interacting with one another. It's just this great little, I don't know if Petri dish is the right thing, but that, that comes to mind. It's just this great little thing where I can assess people. And now there, there, this is just one way to approach things. It could be that what I should do is start reading nutrition textbooks and maybe I will at some point soon, but at least the way that an entry point that I am comfortable with and that I've become comfortable with in other subjects is looking for people who are claiming like expertise and clarity on something and then finding people who disagree and just seeing seeing how their different ideas interact. And then often from that, I'll get a sense of, okay, these are some of the basic issues in the field. And then I'll often read more generally. But uh, what I've noticed in my thinking, and particularly as I've done this show, is that I am very, very focused on expert curation, on finding people who are working with these issues day in, day out, and then evaluating them. I'm, I'm effectively hiring them to be my expert. And it really is a type of employee. You're not usually paying them, except maybe you're buying a book. But we are really deciding like, whom do we do we trust in, in the sense that that we're and we're going to act on information that we don't usually have direct access to. And so there's so much that goes into, okay, who's most credible? And this is why I like to focus on finding a debate, fi finding smart people disagreeing with each other, because usually I can have a sense of, okay, th this this way of thinking seems to make a lot more sense. It seems better at addressing those arguments. And then the people who look more credible, I can then invest more time in learning about them, still looking for disagreements and keeping uh, an eye out for that. But but by finding these really good, clear experts, by by starting the process of finding that, I think, okay, that's that's where I have a real shot at at making progress. So this is not at all to say that Tobbs is will qualify in the end. There are certain things that I'm I'm wary of already from just the little that I've read. But I think he's a good enough starting point where he'll he'll studying the debate around him, including the the many experts who have joined that debate on different sides, should be profitable. But but we'll see. Now, today, what I wanted to share about this beyond just updating you where I am is to share something about how I read expert things in really anything. And that gives me, I think, a, a much better shot than I would otherwise have of understanding who's got the best arguments. And before I, I talk about what I do, I want to talk about the, the problem that we run into. And I'll, I'll describe it with with the Tobbs book as, as an example. So I started reading maybe five chapters of his book. I read them through pretty quickly. And, and just even though I'm pretty critical thinker, what happens is I'm reading this and then the person has a narrative and he's a, has a journalism background and is telling it as a story, which has certain potential benefits, but also certain 
huge hazards to it because you can get sucked into a narrative and not really be it, it the, there can be a whole bunch of things left out that you don't see but with any kind of narrative it's just easy to get sucked into the uh to the logic of the author and to just follow it and then for individual points it seems like oh yeah, that's a good point and that's a good point and that's a good point and then at the end of it, it seems like, okay, it had a lot of good points. And then I read some criticism and it's this long thing. And then it's, okay, they have a lot of good points too. And then it's just, well, how do I, how do I make sense of that? And a big way to make sense of that is to, when reading these long things, be able to distill them to the essentials, to understand, okay, what are really the core arguments being made here? And then if I can if I can really boil those down, then when I see the criticisms, I can see, okay, wh- how good are these criticisms? Are they addressing these points? Are they conveying them accurately? Are they ignoring them? Because somebody could just pick on one little thing and just spend a huge amount of time on that, and then they're ignoring most of the stuff. So what I really want to be able to do with these viewpoints as I'm learning about them, as I'm evaluating the thinkers is to try to boil them down to their essentials. And this connects very directly to the show on week four, I believe, where I talked about context bridging, the context bridging model of explanation. And the idea is that when we're explaining something, whether as ourselves or whether we're an expert in something, really what we're doing is we're taking someone from a context, which is a sum of what they know or think they know, from their context to our context. And we're doing it by adding certain premises or understanding and then subtracting certain things that we think are wrong and then also modifying things that they're partially clear on but also partially unclear on or partially informed about and partially misinformed. So that model of explanation, that's useful for explaining things ourselves, but it's also useful for looking at other people's explanation. And the way I, I... try to get at somebody's context bridging, what they're trying to do and whether it really is good context bridging or whether it seems very flawed, is I want to to grasp the outline of what they've created. And I, I was taught this years ago, and I, the terminology I was taught, which I still use, is reverse outline. So to reverse outline means to take a an extended work and then to reverse engineer the outline that the author is writing from. It doesn't really matter that they wrote it from, but the idea of an outline is the outline summarizes the essential arguments to the content creator, so the content creator then can remember the argument, can have them in mind to expand on them in writing, or sometimes it's in in speaking. But if you can get to the outline of something, it's this really beautiful thing where you can get, okay, now I really understand this. Now I, now I really get what the, you know, what the forest is of this. And the more we can outline, the more we can grasp how ideas fit together and how different arguments intersect with one another. So I, I, I reverse outline all the time and I'll give you a little bit of guidance on how to do that. But the, the key thing is there are the three words that begin with P that 
capture what I'm looking for in a reverse outline. And so it's a, I want a purposeful progression of propositions, a purposeful progression of propositions. So I'll start out with proposition. So a proposition is a statement about reality. It's a full thought about reality versus a topic. So if I'm looking at Tobbs, I don't want to just say, oh, he talks about fat here and he talks about carbs here. No, he's saying, or energy balance here. No, it's, he's making a certain assertion about that in reality. And I want to capture it as a complete sentence. So that's one thing is that I like when I'm outlining somebody, I want it to be in complete sentences. And then purposeful progression is when I'm outlining somebody. So let's say it's a 5,000 word piece and I, I'm boiling it down to six to eight points. I want, I want to boil it down so that each of the points follows from the next. So it's not just one sentence and then another sentence and another sentence and you're not clear how they're related. If the piece is coherent, then you should be able to relate the points one after another after another. So to give you an example of this, I, I haven't yet reverse outlined enough of any of these nutrition people to do that, but I will give you a reverse outline of my book, The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. Now, this is going to be a very, very high level reverse outline because that's a 200 page book and I'm going to boil it down to seven points. But what I want you to pay attention to is just that each of these is a proposition. In some cases, it's a little complex because it's it's a whole chapter of a book or sometimes even a little more than a chapter that I'm summarizing. Sometimes it's two chapters I'm, I'm summarizing, but pay attention to it's a progression. And then the progress, the, the, progr the propositions rather progress and then they progress in a purposeful way. And then the ultimate purpose is what we can call the theme, which, and that is the central summarizing proposition of the entire thing. So any, any piece of content if it's coherent, should boil down to one theme. And then you have an outline, which is usually, let's say, four, maximum eight or nine points that that give you, okay, what are the key elements? What are the key steps? And then sometimes within, and then, and then those can be the big steps. And then within each outline point, then you can have steps and you can have steps. And when I work on a book, I'll have three layers. So I'll have the theme of each chapter and then the theme of each subchapter and then the theme of, and then within that I'll want, sorry, uh, the theme of each, it's a progression. So there's a theme of the overall book. So in the case of Moral Case for Fossil Fuels, we can put the theme of, of that book as fossil fuel use is indispensable to the future of human flourishing. So just put that as, that's the central idea of the book. So that's, that's like level zero. And then level one is I'm going to divide it into seven. And then, but each one of those, it's like its own little, each, each proposition, you can think of that as a theme. So I'll, I'll go into, so as not to confuse it, I'm going to share a, a document, by the way. So this is clear. And so you can see this, but let me just read through the progression. So the theme is fossil fuel use is indispensable to the future of human flourishing. And I apologize if, if some of you have not read the book before not familiar with it. I'm not aiming for this to be, uh, to try to persuade you just by summarizing this. Although I think you will see there's something interesting about the, the argument and you'll, you'll be able to see where it fits in with other arguments. And then if you see people comment on it, you'll be able to see, oh, well, is this comment really addressing the claims of the book or is it, is it accurately representing it? Which in most of the commentaries, I'd say definitely not. So the first point is, 
to make the right choices about fossil fuels, which the fate of humanity depends on, we must engage in full context analysis with human flourishing as our standard of value. So that's point one. I'm just going to read them them through just so you hear them. But each sentence is going to be a new chapter. So with human flourishing as our standard of value. Human flourishing requires cheap, plentiful, reliable energy, which is both extremely hard to produce and in extremely short supply. The fossil fuel industry is the only industry with the ability to produce the variety and quantity of energy required by a world of 7 billion people. Fossil fuels' impact on climate livability is overwhelmingly positive, with the climate protection impact of fossil fuel energy far outweighing the mild warming influence of its CO2 byproduct. Fossil fuels' impact on environmental quality is overwhelmingly positive, with the environmental improvement impact of fossil fuel energy far outweighing the declining pollution impact. Fossil fuels' impact on resource availability is overwhelmingly positive, with the fossil fuel industry creating new fossil fuel resources, as well as the wealth necessary to develop other energy resources. Therefore, if human flourishing is our standard, fossil fuel use needs to be liberated, not restricted. So that, that was seven sentences, and that's capturing the essential progression of an entire book. And then for each of those, I have, you know, I have seven or so points within each chapter, and then within each subchapter, I have seven or so points within those. And then the idea is if, if you can see that outline, then it's, it's a lot easier to retain what's going on in the book and then to understand where my position fits in in the debate. So, for example, with the point I made about climate, you can see, OK, he says something about uh, a warming influence. So he doesn't he doesn't say there's no warming influence, but he describes it as mild. And then he's comparing it with a climate protection and impact of fossil fuel energy, which is not something you would hear with most arguments. They don't they don't talk about the role of energy in making our climate safer. Usually they just talk about the warming influence. So then you would say, OK, I can see how it fits in with other people. And then if somebody said, oh, Epstein's a climate denier, you'd say, well, no, he doesn't. That's not what he's saying. Uh, whereas if you just read the whole book, which I hope you do, it can be hard to retain that. So it's a really good exercise to try to reverse outline the piece in that way. And one thing I'll share with you, which I've never shared before, is I'm going to create a folder. I'm going to create a folder because what I want you to really do is, is if you think there's something really good on nutrition, I would love for you to reverse outline that and then share it with the rest of us because I think that could be a really efficient way of getting a sense of these different arguments. But what I'll put in the as the first document in that folder is I'll I'll put a document called the Ultimate Outline, a step-by-step -step guide, and that's actually a positive guide to outlining that some of you might benefit from. A lot of people have benefited from it that I've I've shared it with so far, but that'll also give you a sense of what goes into a good reverse outline. But the the core thing is purposeful progression of propositions. And I've started doing that with some of these nutrition people and hope to have some good progress within a week. And I really hope that some of you who, if you recommend certain YouTube videos or other things, I hope that you try to reverse outline them. I think it's it's a really, really empowering exercise. And one note that, and this, this can happen a lot, is sometimes you'll find that certain people are easier to reverse outline and certain people are harder to reverse outline. And what that can mean often if they're hard to reverse outline is that 
they don't have a really clear, seamless, logical progression, or there's a lot of that. At least there, there can be a lot of junk added in, but it's really, it can tell you a lot in terms of, can I really get the essential progression? And I'll just make a note with just my preliminary impression of, of reading Tobbs's book, uh, Good Calories, Bad Calories. When I tried to reverse outline it, it was a lot more difficult than I would like it to be. And I'm not drawing anything definitive from that, but there's something about the way that he writes that it makes it hard to get it. Okay, what exactly is he saying? And what exactly is this study supposed to prove? This can often happen with people who have a journalism background. There are many reasons why this can be the case, but I just want to, it's just one other benefit of reading things this way, of reading things to grasp the essential argument or outline is just is very powerful for so many reasons. And what we'll find is that we'll find that most people it's hard to do this with, or what we come up with is not very persuasive. And that that can be a sign that okay, this is not this is not the person to use as our expert. We want to use people who are really, really clear. And often the, the way to tell if they're really, really clear is to look at their reverse outline. So what I'm going to share on the Facebook page, and also if you're on the email list, make sure you're on the email list by going to humanflourishingproject.com, is I'm going to share a folder, which is a shared Google Doc folder. Hopefully most of you use Google Docs. And you can then, it's going to be a public folder, and you can then upload anything you want to that folder. And we'll have it so that people can't delete what you write or edit what you write. You can, I guess you can control whether you have co- whether people can comment on it or not. That could be an interesting feature. But if you do that, uh, now maybe no one will do this and that's totally okay. But I would like, it would be really cool if some of you did and I will share that ultimate outline thing. And that that's very much focused on my book as a use case because that's the outline I know really, really well. But hopefully you'll find utility in creating your own outlines, but also in understanding the outlines of other people's books. So that's that's it for this week. I am committed to sticking with this topic as long as I feel like I'm making some progress. So feel free to send me any feedback on what you've thought of the first two exploratory episodes. Hopefully it's moving us closer to getting some good stuff about nutrition, but also moving you closer to having some good tools for evaluating any kind of claims that you hear. So Again, comment on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash human flourishing project. Email me with any questions or comments at alex at alexepstein.com. All right, that is it for this week. I will talk to everyone next week. Until then, I'm Alex Epstein. This has been the Human Flourishing Project. <laughs>